Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Monday. Back to school, back to work we go. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
the purpose of this song is not to question why this mitzvah was given to me. The reward will be beyond my comprehension, and I'll do it till Mashiach sets me free. All I'm asking is for some cooperation that my husband and our children lend a hand. If I'm a bit too quick to show frustration, perhaps this song will help them understand. I've got the here come Pesach blues. A Jewish woman's gotta pay her dues. But my heart is pounding and my brain feels numb. Thinking about those tiny crumbs, I got the here comes Pesach blues. Oh yeah, I got the here comes Pesach blues. Let's raise our voices as we sing. My dear, my dear, my dear. 
rejoice when you come to hear our voice. So some life and everything. Praise the voices as we sing.
down the highway of life give me five my friend here we are we're together again and remembering when we met all the games all the jokes that we laughed at the pain that we shared and we knew that no matter what came our bond would remain the same I can travel down any road cause I know that I'm not alone I've got my friends and their loyalty I've got my friends who always see the best in me I've got my friends every step of the way my friends are Through the night 
nights when I'm afraid I close my eyes and I feel your grace So hold my hand, don't let it go Show me your face, let the whole world know When I go high, when I fall low I know you're there to lift me I know you're there to lift me J.M. in the A.M., up, done by Yoni Z, here at J.M. in the A.M. Before that, you heard Mordechai Shapiro and Friends, Levado, done by Ohad, who's been announced along with Simcha Liner as of this past Friday when David Cutler made the announcement with us. Um, Ohad and uh, Simcha Liner announced for Yom NCSY coming up in the middle of July, 17th of July in uh, Park Ranana. That should be exciting. Modem was David Perlman. Journeys with uh, Pesach Blues. How better to start a Monday morning after a Wednesday Tanis Esther, a Thursday Purim, a Friday Shushan Purim, a Shabbos. That was a bit out of the ordinary <laughs> coming on the heels of Purim. And then starting a brand new week that's Pesach Blues with Journeys. I believe Matis played it yesterday as well during JM Sunday. Mayor Sherman, our Monday morning theme song, Masech Hashem, and of course, Regesh with Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Monday on this March 25th, the 18th day in the month of Adar 2. 
the year 5779. Four weeks from today, we'll be in the middle of Cholomoid Pesach, believe it or not. 54 degrees outside with cloudy skies and a high temperature right around where we are now, about 54. Clouds early tonight, clearing late and a low of 32. Then sunshine for tomorrow and a high temperature, 48 degrees. Yushalayim only at 45. That's some rough weather in Yushalayim over the last 24 hours. Here we're at 54 in New York City. As we say good morning at JM and the AM. Did I just violate my rule by saying it was rough weather in Yushalayim today? I'm not sure that violates the rule of, uh, of saying negative things or not to say negative things about Jerusalem. I think it's more of a warning that, you know, Let's know what our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem have gone through over the last uh, day, and that is a little bit of rough weather. Uh, anyway, speaking of rough, many of you are aware of the fact that seven have been injured in a rocket fire attack that um, fell in Farsaba. Uh, the IDF has responded. The Prime Minister of Israel is in the United States, and he has made it clear that there will be a forceful response. Hamas officials have said that the rocket which struck a home in central Israel injuring seven civilians was fired from the Gaza Strip by mistake. According to the reports, after the long-range J-80 rocket was fired by Hamas operatives by mistake, the group evacuated positions across the coastal enclave in anticipation for an Israeli retaliation. Meanwhile, one of the leaders of Islamic Jihad warned Israel against any retaliatory, retaliatory strike, saying... We warn the enemy against any aggression on the Gaza Strip. Its leaders must understand that we will respond strongly to any aggression. Seven people were injured Monday morning. Um, The rocket launched from the Gaza Strip, struck a private home in central Israel, the third long-range rocket fired from the Hamas-run enclave in two weeks. The attack triggered code red incoming rocket sirens at 5.20 in the morning throughout the Sharon and Amik Hefer regions, and a loud explosion was heard after the rocket struck the home of the community of Mishmeret, north of Kfar Saba. The strike set off a fire in the home, destroying it completely. Finance Minister Moshe Kachlon visited the house where the rocket landed, said the bomb shelter saved the life of my family. This is what the father of the family said to me, and that is a message to all the residents of Israel. As soon as you hear an alarm, go to the bomb shelter. I do not wish anyone to go through such an event, but if there's an alarm, do not be lazy and go to the bomb shelter. Magain David Adom Rescue Services said that seven people, including two children and an infant, were treated for wounds and evacuated. Of those injured, a woman in her 60s was in moderate condition, suffering from blast injuries, minor burns, and shrapnel wounds, and a woman in her 30s was in moderate condition with shrapnel injuries. Two men, 60 and 30, as well as a girl aged 12, a 3-year-old boy, and 18-month-old were lightly injured. Um, following the attack, Israel decided to close the Erez and Karen Shalom border crossings as well as uh, reduce the permitted fishing area off the coast of Gaza until further notice. Prime Minister Netanyahu, who's in Washington, held a telephone consultation with Chief of Staff Lieutenant General Aviv Kochavi, the head of the Shin Bet Nadav Argaman, National Security Council Director Mayor Ben Shabbat, and other senior officials. I spoke to the IDF Chief of Staff, head of the Shin Bet, and head of intelligence. He sees this as a criminal act against the state of Israel, adding that he has cut his trip to the U.S. short and returned to manage our operations up close. Netanyahu is set to meet with U.S. President Trump and will return to Israel after his meeting. He has canceled his speech at AIPAC. It's funny. Some of us predicted he would never show up at AIPAC. Um, 
anyway, so that's the story. And, and the most important part is that, uh, as uh, you heard in the story, the security bunker that the family was in certainly saved their lives. That's a an understatement. Prime Minister Netanyahu heading back to uh, Israel sooner rather than later after his uh, meeting with uh, the President of the United States. And um, and we will see what happens as we all look very closely as to what our brothers and sisters in Israel are going through at this time and what the response of the Israeli military will be uh, today, tomorrow, etc. I want to thank those who are uh, commenting on the app. I want to say hi to uh, the rabbi down in Atlanta who has uh, commented already this morning. I remind you, you can comment on the app by going to the NSN Nahum Siegel Network app for Android and iPhone and commenting away. Monday morning, it's JM in the AM. Here's Yaakov Shweki.
חמש למקרא, בין עשר למשנה, שלוש עשרה למצוות, חמש עשרה לגמרא, שמונה עשרה לחופה, בין עשרים לרדוף, בין שלושים לכוח, בין ארבעים לבינה, בין חמישים לעצה. בין שישים לזקנה, בין שבעים לשיבה, בין שמונים לגבורות, בין תשעים לסוח, בין מאה. כי לא פה בטל ועבר מן העולם. ‫דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-דה-ד
J.M. in the A.M. with Yitzhak Fuchs and Ben Chamesh here on a Monday morning as we head back to school, back to work at J.M. in the A.M. Yaakov Shweki before that. Speaking of uh, back to school, we have been uh, we have been uh, updated. We've been uh, it's been brought to our attention that there is an organization in Israel called Nevet, N-E-V-E-T. Founded by the Aleket Israel organization, and uh, be, and they became an independent not-for-profit organization in 2016. What is Nevet? Nevet provides nutritious daily school meals for Israeli children from disadvantaged backgrounds and dysfunctional homes. They distribute 1.3 million breakfasts every year to 8,000 students daily at 130 schools across 46 Israeli municipalities during the morning break. The sandwiches fortify these students to concentrate on their studies and move toward a better future. They create a nutritional anchor and a consistent routine for the children every school day. You can check out the website, nevet.org, N-E-V-E-T.org. Chairman of the board of Nevet is Joseph Mandelbaum, who joins us live from Israel on this Monday morning. Joseph Mandelbaum, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Um, love to know how this uh, how this started, how uh, one discovered that so many thousands of children in Israel, from the description at least it seems, had no uh, breakfast, had no meal to eat during the break during the school day. It's interesting enough, it started, as you mentioned, with uh, Leket Israel, which was founded by Joseph Gitler, and that was saving food from waste and then redistributing it to people in need. And from that, it was brought to his attention that uh, sometimes in school in the morning, it's called Aruchad Esher, the 10, 10 a.m. morning break, which is really the breakfast for a lot of kids in, in, at the beginning of the school day, that they didn't have sandwiches. And that's what most people had at that point in time. So he started a within Leket a uh, volunteer organization that started creating sandwiches and delivering it to schools, and from that Nevet was born and became unfortunately what we realized was a much bigger issue and a problem. Today there's 25,000 students that we know of that are that need sandwiches in school every day. We're only able to service 8,000 of them, but there's 25,000 we know of, and that's from the directly from the principals and teachers themselves. I, if I had to venture, I think there's more than that, but um, but at least now we know there's 25,000, and our goal is to make sure everybody goes to school and can have some food to eat because it helps the teachers, it helps them, 
helps all the kids in the school actually get more out of it. What does the word nevet mean? Nevet is a uh, like a, um, a small uh, growing plant. Uh, it's the beginning. It's a uh, it's a seedling, and the seedling is uh, grows up hoping to be a plant, but it can't grow without the right nutrition. It would be impossible for somebody to sit at home and make eight thousand sandwiches and then distribute them to all these different places. How does the system actually work? Well, that's one of the beauties about what we're doing is we really try to guard, uh, do this very discreetly and guard the honor of the kids so that no one feels embarrassed. So what we do is we have delivery. Uh, we have delivery trucks ourselves. We deliver once every couple of weeks the ingredients, whether it's tuna fish, whether it's uh, cheese, whether it's peanut butter, whatever the case may be, for the sandwiches that we make hummus. And we deliver that to the schools. They have refrigeration places they put it in. And then every day there, there's bread delivered, the lachmariot, the, uh, you know, the, these baguettes that are delivered every day through the delivery of Berman trucks. Berman's a big bakery here. They do deliveries anyway. They deliver the bread. And then what we do is we have volunteers in the school itself, the, uh, the Misrad Chinuch and Misrad Briut, the health ministry and the education ministry, want to ensure that the sandwiches are all put together on site because of health reasons, which makes sense. So we have volunteers from the schools themselves who prepare the sandwiches every morning, usually half hour before the kids get to school. And then it's waiting for them in a discreet corner, usually within the, the, uh, the office administration area. And what happens is the sandwiches are laying there, and the kids who need the sandwiches, they've been identified, obviously, by the teachers and the principal. They walk in without anybody else knowing, pick up the sandwich, put it in their bag, and walk into the class like every other kid. So when it is... 10 o'clock in the morning or whatever it is, and they have their, uh, and they have their, uh, their arukhades there, they're taking out their sandwiches like every other kid, and no one else is the wiser. Joseph Mandelbaum, live from Israel, we're speaking about the Nevet organization, N-E-V-E-T. It sounds like you need the cooperation of uh, administrations, uh, people within the school, I would guess even some local municipalities, and they're I mean, they supervise the schools, don't they? So are, are you able at this point to, uh, to get cooperation from all those necessary? So we're, we're making a lot of progress. Uh, first of all, we do need the cooperation of the schools, first and foremost, and those are the ones who we can't go into a school unless they actually invite us in and they want our help. As you, I mentioned in, the, in your prologue, we have about 120 schools, 130 schools who serve the same, 47 municipalities. These range from secular, to religious, to Haredi, to Arab, to Druze, uh, even Bedouin. Uh, we got anywhere because, you know, obviously the child in need is the child's need, regardless of, of, uh, of, of where they come from. And with regards to the municipalities, there are a number of municipalities that actually help us, and they provide usually about a third of the funding, and the other two-thirds comes from donors, uh, like your listeners and, and other donors, who, uh, who provide us with that funding. And we hope eventually that either the health ministry or the education ministry will, will eventually support this as well. But for now, we're working with the municipalities themselves, and we need donors. And obviously, anybody who can go to nevet.org and donate, that would be appreciated. The um, this figure is 8,000 sandwiches a day. Um, for those of us who, you know, wake up in the morning and, you know, essentially have, you know, <laughs> our run of the kitchen, <laughs> have whatever we need and are able to you know, feed our children and get them off to a really good start nutritionally. Um, how would you describe the difference that this makes, that Nevet makes in families when there are children who literally wake up and go to school you know, on an empty stomach? 
Yeah, so actually we've, we've been, we just did commissioned a study last year. We're doing now almost a year-long study to actually track the effects of that. And it really is amazing to see uh, the grades have improved, the attitude of the kids in school, the uh, dysfunctionality of the classroom, because if you have a kid who's hungry, who's just making mischief because, frankly, they have nothing better to do because they can't concentrate, it helps improve the teacher with all the students, even the ones that have food. And we've been tracking all that progress, and so far the teachers have been overwhelmingly supportive because it makes their job easier and makes the whole classroom more productive. And the children who are affected predominantly here are the ones whose grades are improving, and it sets them up for success when they feel a, self, a sense of self-worth. It actually makes a world of difference, especially at that age, as I'm sure both of us can appreciate. Yeah. Um, those, are, those are impressionable ages. When you feel that someone cares about you, when you feel that you're worth something, it actually makes a world of difference. And in our own small way, that's what we're doing here at Nevet. And to me, one of the reasons I got involved in Nevet is purely because there's so many problems and in, in, in challenges in this world, and a lot of good things happen as well, a lot of great organizations. Nevet is one of the few things that we can solve. There's a finite amount of children in Israel who need this, and we can solve it if we have enough money to do that, enough cooperation from the, uh, the municipalities and the government. And that's our goal. Our goal is that hopefully we solve this problem uh, from, from that perspective as much as we can because I think it helps penetrate and make the cycle of poverty and the cycle of lack of self-worth. Uh, we, can, we can solve that and, and get kids back on their feet and hopefully contribute to society in a very productive way. Joseph Mandelbaum is with us from Israel. Um, the majority of our listeners will likely donate in dollars. Uh, what kind of effect can they make? How many dollars or half dollars, whatever the figure is, does it take uh, to make a difference in the life of a child on a daily basis. Yeah, so for example, if uh, you can sponsor one sandwich uh, if, a day, if, like it's, I think it's a, less than a dollar a day, you can sponsor a sandwich for, uh, for, for a child. It, it costs us about um, three, two and a half to three shekel, so that's a little less than a dollar to feed for, for the ingredients. So you do the math. If someone can donate you know, a few hundred dollars a year, right? that's basically feeding the child for the whole year, uh, which is an amazing accomplishment. And, you know, obviously if we can do that, we can solve this and make a difference one person at a time. Uh, it's pretty easy to do this. All you got to do is hit the donate button at nevet.org, correct? That is correct. And if you want to do a hashtag, a sandwich forever child, for, for every child, it's even better. <laughs> we, 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 we can get the word out as well. And we're excited about, uh, thank you, being on this program. We, we appreciate the, the airtime to help get the word out. Because as I mentioned before, this is something which, uh, no matter who you are and how you feel about anything, uh, we can all agree the fact that children going hungry is not good for them, not good for the classroom, and not good for, for the teacher. So hopefully we can solve this problem together, and uh, we look forward to that. Aside from the donate button, there's a button that says, I want to donate a sandwich for one child. Check it out, everybody. Go to nevet.org, N-E. Vet.org, N-E-V-E-T.org. There are more um, testimonials and more um, information uh, there on the site about what they do on a daily basis. They're making 1.3 million sandwiches every single year. 8,000 students are being reached with this program, and they are already in 130 schools, which is pretty remarkable. Check it out. Go to Nevet.org. And now, especially during a season between Purim and Pesach, when so many of us are setting aside funds to help literally uh, poor families, those who can't afford food, look at what we have an opportunity to do, to literally feed a child who would go 
without a sandwich, without a breakfast meal uh, every single day in school. A big difference one can make if they go to nevet.org and hit the donate button. Joseph Mandelbaum will continue to encourage our listeners to support your great cause. Continued success to you and the entire Nevet family. Thank you very much, and have a hug. Todarabah, Joseph Mandelbaum, chairman of the board of Nevet.org, or I should say the Nevet organization. If you go to the website, you could donate right now. Literally a dollar a day is um, all that uh, it takes to support a child all year round in a school. You'll see a button on the website that says, I want to donate a sandwich for one child. Follow all the uh, donation buttons and to become part of of the Nevet support family. Monday morning broadcast, more coming up. This is JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Monday with Yehuda Green and Hashem Melech. Listener Morris on the app says hi from APAC. Next year, everyone, please join me. A great way to support the bipartisan relationship between our holy land of Israel and America. Yehuda Green is the best, he says. Listener Silky says, please say Mazel Tov to Yitzi and Chaya. Sippy Handler on the birth of a little girl. Mazel Tov to the grandmothers. Connie Handler and Aggie Grunbaum. Mazel Tov to the great-grandparents. Mice and Claire Grunwald. Oh, is that wonderful? That is wonderful. Thank you, Silky, for letting us know. Toss me in a, a little email with the Grunwald's contact information. Would love to give them a call and wish them a Mazel Tov. That is amazing. Monday morning, it's JM in the AM, America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSegal.com, on the NahumSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Eitan Cats, a live music alert Tuesday. Eitan Cats coming in tomorrow here at JM in the AM. Get ready, everybody. A live music alert Tuesday with a brand new album. Should be a lot of fun with Eitan Cats tomorrow right here at JM in the AM. So make sure to be tuned in. Galite's on the background to our news from Israel. Coming up, the Prime Minister is cutting his trip short because of the rocket fire that has hit central Israel. Uh, he will meet with the President of the United States and then head back without visiting the APAC conference, which is interesting. After all is said and done, the Prime Minister will not be addressing the APAC conference according to the latest news that we have. But the meeting with the President of the United States will take place, and uh, then he will head back to Israel to monitor the situation and get more, even more involved in the response that Israel is in the midst of uh, taking to the enemy after the uh, rocket fire just north of Kfar Saba that resulted in seven injuries, some of them serious. Galitzal in the background to our news from Israel coming up. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 1 p.m., Newscast for a Monday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. ההסלמה הביטחונית מול חמאס כשמונה שעות אחרי שיגור הרקטה וטרם נרשמה תגובה של צה"ל. כתבנו לענייני צבא וביטחון, צחי דבוש. נכון לשעה זו לא נרשמה תגובה ישראלית על שיגור הרקטה מעזה. הפעם החליטו בישראל שלא לקבל את הטענות בדבר טעות בשיגור. במקביל, הרמטכ"ל רב-אלוף אביב כוכבי החליט להעביר שתי חטיבות סדירות של חי"ר ושריון וכן מפקדת אוגדה אל גבול רצועת עזה. בתוך כך החלו בצה"ל בגיוס מילואים ממערכי ההגנה האווירית והמודיעין וכן הוחלט לסגור את המעברים כרם שלום וארז. והשרה מירי רגב מהליכוד קראה ביומן הצהריים לחדש את הסיכולים הממוקדים. הבוקר הם פרסמו את אותה הודעה שהם פרסמו בעניין הטילים שלפני 11 ימים נורו בטעות אה, לתל אביב. על טעות משלמים, פעם אחת זה טעות, פעם שנייה זה כבר לא טעות. צריך לחזור לאותם סיכולים ממוקדים של המנהיגים, של ארגוני הטרור. בבתי החולים עדיין מטופלים ארבעה פצועים משיגור הרקטה. בבית החולים ביילינסון מטופלת פצועה בינוני. בבית החולים מאיר בכפר סבא מטופלים שלושה במצב קל. אחד מהם, דניאל וולף, שוחח לפני זמן קצר עם אמיר איבגי בגלי צה"ל. שמעתי איזה כעס, הרצתי לבנות שלי ולאשתי ולקחתי אותם לממ"ד, ואז להורים שלי הערתי אותם. אבא שלי רץ לאחות הקטש בבית אחר. ואז שמענו טאבו, את הנפילה, וזהו, מה זה בלאגן שלם, פשוט בלאגן שלם. 
ניסיון דקירה נוסף בחלק ציעות, הסיר תקף לפני זמן קצר סוערים עם דוקרן, אי נפגעים. כתבתנו עדה שטייף. אחרי שהלילה פגעו שני אסירי חמאס בשני קציני שב"ס ודקרו אותם, האחד בצווארו והשני בידו, נמנע בצהריים אירוע נוסף באותו הכלא. אסיר חמאס מכלא קציעות ניסה לשלוף דוקרן ממחבוב לדקור סוהר. זאת בעת שסוהרים ערכו חיפוש בתאו של האסיר אחרי מכשירים חדים. ערנות הסוהר וסוהרים אחרים המאבטחים את האגף מנעה מהאסיר לבצע את זממו. נתפס, הדוקרן הוחרם והוא ייענש. מוקדם יותר התייחס ארדן לאירועים בקציעות והתחייב נמשיך לפגוע בתנאי האסירים הביטחוניים. בדבריו הביא כתבנו רמי שני. הפרויקט הזה שאנחנו מובילים, פרויקט מיסוך הסלולר הכרחי, הוא פרויקט שאנחנו נמשיך ליישם אותו בתמיכת כל מערכת הביטחון, כי הם מבינים את החשיבות שלו. זה כמובן לא אירוע מקרי וזה לא אירוע שרק התוקפים היו מעורבים בו, אלא אסירי החמאס, מחבלי החמאס שנמצאים בבתי הכלא. בעקבות מסקנות מולר במוסקבה מבקשים לחזק את היחסים עם ארצות הברית. כתבתנו אינן טונוב. מהקרמלין נמסר כי רוסיה מעוניינת לחזק את הקשרים עם ארצות הברית, אך על וושינגטון לעשות את הצעד הראשון. זאת לאחר פרסום מסקנות דוח התובע הכללי של ארצות הברית, רוברט מולר, שלא מצא ראיות הקושרות את מסע הבחירות של טראמפ לרוסים במהלך הבחירות לנשיאות ב-2016. ומזג האוויר גשמים מקומיים שייפסקו עד לשעות הלילה. אלה החדשות שעורך רועי ולד. בחסות בועז פמסון, יושב ראש...
JM in the AM. Um, that's the Y Studs, brand new. A uh, video that just came out has over 10,000 views already. Mahapecha. And it looks like it was filmed, or at least part of it was filmed at the Kushner School, right? I think so. I see Rabbi Sharbat in there. I'm assuming that that was uh, a, uh, a shoot that took place at the Kushner School. The Kalakavod, thanks for joining us, Y Studs, via video. <laughs> uh, the brand new Mapecha video here at JM in the AM. Nine minutes after seven o'clock. It's Monday. Tomorrow, Eitan Katz, a live music alert Monday. Eitan Katz in studio tomorrow. Oh, am I looking forward to that visit? Oh, am I looking forward to that visit? You got the brand new album and everything? I am very much looking forward to that visit. So Eitan Katz tomorrow here at um, JM in the AM. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, 54 degrees, cloudy skies, high around 54 where it is now. Clouds early tonight and clearing late, a low 32. Sunshine for tomorrow, a high temperature of 48. I'm sure you've been following what's going on in Israel. The prime minister has cut his visit to the U.S. short. He says he'll be leaving after his visit to uh, Washington and the president of the United States. He will not be attending the APAC conference. Um, the enemy is claiming that, uh, that this time, or I should say this time again, the rockets that hit central Israel, this time just north of Farsaba, uh, was a mistake, was an accident. That's what the enemy is claiming. Not so sure that, uh, anybody believes them at this point, but, uh, that's what they're claiming in the aftermath of the, uh, rocket attack that has injured seven in the central part of Israel. I want to thank our friends at uh, Aaron's Casino Farms in Queens. They've got a, uh, as you may have seen on social media, they've got a major development out there, and that's their mega store for uh, Pesach. Really amazing. Really amazing. I saw it with my own eyes before it opened up, both inside and out, and it is massive. Absolutely massive. So we wish them the best of luck, and we'll talk more about it, of course, coming up here at JM in the AM. Uh, well, we mentioned Aton Cats. It is official. Aton Cats tomorrow, 7.40 Eastern time for a live, one-hour live music alert Tuesday with us here at JM in the AM. We are very much looking forward to it. Here he is at JM in the AM.
bad news is everywhere. I shut my eyes, shut my ears, and now. Cause I know there's a better day coming, blowing in from the north and south. But I don't give up. I let my love shine bright. I won't give up, no, 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 I won't give up, I let my love shine bright, I won't give up, no, 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 don't put me down for the way that I look, for what I wear, it's just this skin I bear. Come a time when all men and women will live as one At least I do believe So I don't give up I let my love shine bright Won't give up, no, 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 no I put my faith in the only one Put my faith in these things that I've done Put my faith in the only one And I put my faith in love Put my faith in love But I won't give up No, no Gets a little closer every day. May seem a million miles away, but it gets a little closer every day.
J.M. in the A.M. with Shmuley Unger and Mach Abrocha here at J.M. in the A.M. Uh, before that, Aryeh Kunstler and Don't Give Up. The Yazar done by the Yeshiva Boys. Eitan Katz with Nigun Cheshek. Don't forget Eitan Katz, a live music alert Tuesdays in studio tomorrow right here at J.M. in the A.M. We are very much looking forward to his visit. Eitan Katz tomorrow right here at J.M. in the A.M. We continue to pray for the victims of the rocket attack in central Israel. The Prime Minister has cut his visit to the United States short. And um, seven total injured in the uh, in the attack this morning that the enemy is calling an accident. 
David Matlow is going to join us here at JM in the AM. He is the um, he is the man we met up in Toronto, Canada, a few weeks ago, who is collecting the dream. He is a collector of everything Herzl. We met him up in Toronto, went to visit the incredible exhibition in his home, and um, asked if uh, he'd join us when he gets to New York. And sure enough, he's going to be here this morning. We are very much, very anxious and looking forward to speaking with him coming up at JM in the AM. So David Matlow is going to be uh, part of our Monday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. And again, a reminder, Eitan Katz tomorrow here at JM in the AM. The brand new album is Ashrecha. And uh, we are going to uh, ask him to help us turn it into a live music alert Monday by playing live in studio here at JM in the AM. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We read in Vayikra, Kaches Aaron v'espanavitai. Rashi explains, What does it mean, take Aaron and his children? Kachenu bidvarim umoshcheyu. You should take him with words to persuade him and draw him near. Rav Gamliel explains that it's fascinating. We know that Aaron was Kaddush. He was holy to Hashem. He was waiting to be Mekayim every mitzvah. He was waiting to fulfill each and every one of Hashem's precepts. Everyone was gathered at the doorway of the Pesach Oel Moed. However, each one thought that they would run and do the Avodah. Each one thought that maybe they would be privileged to be the ones that would be the Kohanim. Aaron was the one that was chosen. But the interesting idea is that we read the words, to draw him close with words and to bring him into the Avodah. How interesting it is that each and every person needs to be drawn in, especially in the schools, the children, boys and girls, teenagers, even adults need to be properly influenced. We have to make sure that the way that we are doing it is a way that will be moishich. It will pull them in with warmth, with enthusiasm, with excitement. We have to know the way to the heart of the tamida, the tamida, to bring them closer. We see that even Aaron, even the greatest of families, the most choshev of a people, had to be brought in, had to be influenced in the right way. Recently, on Purim night, where it is the minig in Yerushalayim, that many people go to the house of their great Rebbeim, to the tzaddikim, and there they have a Purim Mesiba, Purim gathering. All of a sudden, one of the sons of a very prominent Rosh Hashiva comes into the Mesiba, and they see that as he's coming in, he's wobbling one foot, the other foot. He almost falls over. Finally, he takes a seat at the table. His head's bobbing. It looks like he doesn't know where he's at. And then, after a couple of minutes, his head hits the table. He is out cold. He is drunk. They waited. The end of the Mesiba came, 
and he is still fast asleep on the table. The people had all started to go home, and they were afraid that perhaps the Rosh Hashiva and his Rebetzin would be nervous. They would wonder about their son's whereabouts. So two men took him, one on each side, and began to almost carry him home to the Rosh Hashiva's house. When they knocked on the door, and the Rebetzin opened up and saw her son being carried home, she felt very bad, disillusioned, her heart went down. They put the Rosh Hashiva's son in a bed, and there she ran to her husband to bemoan the fact that her son was brought home by others drunk. The Rosh Hashiva immediately went, and he saw that his son was mumbling some words. So he ran over to him, and he put his ear by the mouth of the son, and he hears that his son is saying, Woe, woe is to me. My parents put so much into me. They're most unnefish for me. They give me every opportunity. And I didn't even do what I'm supposed to. I haven't learned yet to the level that I should be at. I try hard. But what is all of my efforts if I don't apply myself 100%? What kind of an embarrassment will I be to my parents? I have to try harder, much harder than I've tried in the past. When the Roshiva heard these words, he looked at his wife, the great Rebetzin, and said, If this is what happened when he gets shikr, you can only imagine the greatness inside, what there is still to come out of him. They were greatly inspired by their son. We should all be zoche, that our children should be able to fulfill their potential, that we should be zoche, that we should merit to bring them close in the correct way, with warmth and enthusiasm, that we should merit raising a young generation dedicated to Torah and mitzvahs. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. JM in the AM Monday, as we head back to school and back to work, and a reminder, tomorrow's a live music alert Tuesday. Eitan Katz is going to be in studio here at JM and AM. And my thanks to Rabbi Goldwasser. Well, you may recall um, a couple of months ago we were in Toronto, Canada. We were part of the uh, Eruv Hatzala campaign, a really successful morning and day that we spent up in Toronto. And we had an amazing journey. The journey started um, with actually a rumor that we heard about uh, a gentleman that collects everything having to do with Theodore Herzl. And we spent um, about an hour, literally at the very early part of our trip, at the home of David Matlow. That is where the exhibit lives. That is where the collection is. And uh, he gave us the most amazing tour and a real history lesson, uh, whatever you could do in an hour. Frankly, about 10, 10 to 15 hours is probably necessary to go through everything <laughs> that he has related to uh, Theodore Herzl. And uh, we said that when he gets to New York, we must speak with him, get him in studio, talk about this unique collection. And uh, in fact, here he is today. David Matlow, Collecting the Dream, is the name of the book that he has uh, uh, given us as a beautiful gift, a remembrance, a token of our visit up to his exhibit in Toronto. A pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Before we discuss the why, how... 
does one begin a Herzl collection? Well, my collection began with an item that was in my grandparents' home in Ramad Gan. They they were originally from Belarus, but then moved to Toronto and and raised a family, including my father. And when the state of Israel was born, 1948, they wanted to fulfill their dream and moved to Israel and bought a home in Ramad Gan, where we used to visit in the 60s in the summertime. And in their home was a poster of Theodore Herzl that was framed and put in a prominent place in their home. And when my grandmother died in 1991, I asked that for my Yerusha, and um, and it was given to me. And when I opened it up to reframe it, it happened to have been a free giveaway poster from the Haaretz in 1960 on the occasion of Herzl's 100th birthday. But my grandparents felt so strongly about Herzl that they put it in a, a beautiful frame and, and had it in a prominent spot. That was item one in my collection. I since have 5,000 more items, but that's how it all started. Of the 5,000, is there one category that dominates? Is there one type of item uh, that you have more than others? Interestingly, I have several hundred postcards with Herzl's image on it. And so picture you're in the late 1800s or the early 1900s and you go into a, a variety store, a bodega in, in Minsk or <laughs> Moscow or somewhere, and you want to send a note to a friend. And there are a series of postcards with Her- Theodore Herzl's pictures picture on it and in many variations. So I have several hundred different ones, including uh, his children, pictures of his mother. He was a celebrity and... And so uh, the way that people would know about him and show their affinity for him was to have things with his picture on it, and then they would send it to help spread the message. So I have albums, a shelf of albums with Theodore Herzl postcards. David Matlow is here. Uh, It must have been a a struggle deciding what to put in this book, in this keepsake that you created for people, because obviously you're only featuring, I assume, I don't know, 50, 100 items in here. Correct. In putting together the book, I wanted to include items that many people would not have seen. There are very few collectors out there, um, but there are a number of items that would be a regular item that that people would have, a coin, a banknote. There, were, there have been many over the years, so I tried to pick the most unique ones to showcase it to the world, some of the things that I have that people wouldn't otherwise have seen but for the book. Um, we discussed the how, I go back to the why, although you may have already explained part of the why, um, it, it, it seems, I don't know, unusual, different that someone would be obsessed with one personality, especially in Jewish history. Yet it seems that, uh, aside from yourself, there are many others who have this, I don't know, this affinity, this connection, this, this, you know, love as much as one can, can love one they never knew. You know, for Herzl, um, there are a lot of young people in this audience who may have only heard the name Herzl for the first time this morning. Can you give us a brief bio and explain why you think he's such an important figure to people like yourself, myself, and others? Well, the headline, of course, is he's the visionary of the state of Israel. Um, At a time when there was no state. Correct. (laughs) Some young people don't realize. (laughs) Right. So we're talking about, he he was born in 1860, died in 1904, and only became interested in Zionism in 1896. So dedicated the last eight years of his life to this cause. Yes, 115 years later, we're still talking about him. 
And his idea basically was a response to the anti-Semitism that he was seeing in Europe at the time. He was deathly afraid that the Jews of Europe were living on borrowed time. And now we know that he was right, and he was righter than even he could have imagined. It was much worse than he had feared. And his idea was, in order for the Jews to be safe, that we as a Jewish people are entitled to our own home, just like any other nation. The Italians have Italy, and the Greeks have Greece, and the Jewish nation is entitled to their own home as a safe refuge to, uh, from the anti-Semitism that he saw in Europe. And what's remarkable about him is he was able to accomplish his ideas and spread the word in a time where there was no internet. The telephone had just been invented. There was no airline travel. And yet he um, galvanized the Jewish world. Not everyone, because there were those who thought he was crazy and who, who thought that this was heretical. But over time, he captured more and more of the imagination of the Jewish people. And it was really based on an idea the strength of an idea, somebody having a good idea, but more than having a good idea. And this is what distinguishes Herzl from his predecessors like Leon Pinsker and Moshe Hess, who also had a similar idea. Herzl went out and did something about it. He convened a Zionist, Zionist congresses for people to meet and discuss this issue. He created a Jewish bank called the Jewish Colonial Trust, now the Bank Lumi, to help fund this enterprise. He established the World Zionist Organization, a democratic organization with constituent parts all over the world, which still exists, and really began the process to put in the infrastructure and the institutions of a Jewish state, which ultimately was created. In the first Zionist Congress in 1897, he wrote in his diary, "If I today I created the Jewish state. And if I said that out loud now, people would think I'm crazy. But in five years, and certainly in 50 years, people will know I'm right. He wrote this in August of 1897, the UN Partition Resolution, which is when the United Nations resolved to provide, to create the Jewish state, which became Israel, was 50 years and a couple months later, and Israel declared independence, May 1948, 50 years and nine months later. And so it all starts with an idea and with a dream and acting to make it happen. Unbelievable. What a, what a great uh, assessment. Um, also, he had a, a prolific writing ability, which, which also lent itself to the to the effort, right? When one can communicate, especially in writing in those days, in a really effective way, that's only going to help the cause along, right? Correct. It started with his writing of the book, The Judenstadt, The the Jewish State, which was published in February of 1896. And that was really a primer, how to go about creating the Jewish state, what to do, what are the mechanics and the steps. In 1902, he wrote a novel, Old Neuland, Old New Land, which described Herzl's vision of what the state of Israel would look like, or it wasn't called the state of Israel, but the Jewish state would look like 20 years hence in 1902. He didn't live to see it because he died in 1904. But interesting, Alt-Neuland was translated by Nachum Sokolov as Tel Aviv. Tel being an architectural site, which is old, Aviv being spring, which we're enjoying now, which is new, and so, and this was in 1902, the city of Tel Aviv was created in 1909. The city of Tel Aviv is named after Herzl's book. 
And in addition to those books, he was a prolific writer, corresponded um, by letter, old-fashioned way, and um, and was also the editor of a newspaper which he which he bought. It was called Die Welt or HaOlam, the World. As well, in order to fund much of this, he was a journalist for a Viennese newspaper, and he kept that job this whole time to help pay for for this. He he essentially bankrupted his family by the investment he made on behalf of the Jewish people in fulfilling his dream. Unbelievable. And I remind everybody what you said earlier. He passed away at the age of 44, much younger than either of us, and accomplished a great deal in those what we would now refer to as short number of years. Um, people need to keep that in mind. His remains are in Israel. In fact, uh, Har Herzl, Mount Herzl, is generally regarded as a pretty prominent place in Israel. That's correct. He wrote in his will that when he dies, he wants to be buried in a metal casket. And of course, the Jewish people traditionally are buried in a, in a talit or a wooden casket. Uh, but he asked for to be buried in a metal casket, and his will specifically said, when the Jewish state that I have envisioned will be created, I want to be reburied there. And after independence, May 1948, there was a war to fight. There was a lot of things to do as first priorities, but it was in August of 1949. So not much after the creation of the State of Israel that David Ben-Gurion and the Knesset resolved to fulfill Herzl's last wish. And he was buried on Har Herzl, August 1949. And this was a momentous occasion uh, in the life of the young state. Almost half the Jewish population of Israel came to see his remains, either lying in state in Tel Aviv or in the Jewish agency building in Yerushalayim, or when it went on the highways between those places. And that was ultimately the fulfillment uh, of his wish. And there was, in my collection... There's a cover page of the Marif, and the headline is Hinehuba. He's coming. He's coming back. And 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 yes, and that that ultimately became Har Herzl, which is a a, a prominent uh, state site, a ceremonial sure. and memorial site. Im Tirtsu Enzo Agada. How would you translate it? Well, literally, it means if you will it, it is no dream. But but more generally, that statement is not limited to creations of Jewish states because we have, <laughs> we have one, we only have one. Our job is to preserve it and nurture it and to love it. But it really means anything that anyone sets their mind to do can be accomplished. Standing in the shoes of Herzl in 1896 or the Jewish world in 1896, the thought of having a Jewish state was the most preposterous, ridiculous, just crazy idea anyone ever had, yet it happened because people wanted it and worked towards it. And so the lesson of Herzl, Herzl and one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about him and, and talk about him, is he should be an inspiration for everyone, not just to have an idea. Ideas are cheap. Talking about ideas, anyone can have an idea. The difference between someone who changes the world and someone who who just has an idea is to do something about it. And in the context of, of Israel and our love for the state of Israel, we should all be doing what we can as often as we can for the benefit of the state of Israel. Herzl used his skills and talents. He was a writer and a journalist and a lawyer, and he used his skills and talents towards something he believed in, which we're all the beneficiaries of. 
living at a time, a unique time in Jewish history where when there is a state of Israel. And Herzl inspires me and hopefully inspires all your listeners to use their skills and talents towards this very important cause. You essentially um, mentioned that uh, one of the reasons you continue to grow your collection of uh, Herzl memorabilia and artifacts is because you want to influence people to search their own inner Herzl, right, as you describe it, that everybody has a power within them, as Herzl had, to, as you just described, not just will something but to actually do something about it, and you're hoping that more and more people will look at him as an example and actually go ahead and do something good uh, whatever that goal might be. That's absolutely correct. The story of Israel is um, unfolding, it will, it, and it will always be such. And Herzl's dream was the creation of a state of Israel. And I say his dream was fulfilled but was not com- is not yet completed. Herzl envisioned, and he said, that the goal of Zionism is not just a plot of land for the Jewish people— but to create a model society on that land. And so we're all charged with helping to create that model society. And we'll all have different views as to what that is, and that's fine. But none of us should be um, so um, uh, distanced from the goal of helping the state of Israel or be complacent because it exists, unless we care for it and nurture it and and worry about it and do things for it, um, we we run the risk of of putting it at risk. So Herzl is an everlasting mission to me to keep energized and use my skills and talents towards this very important objective. And imagine if he saw Israel today, if he saw the world coming to the feet of Israel and wanting their technology and begging them to help them solve their water problem and their and their and and and, and wanting to invest with Israel in so many different projects and the billions and billions of dollars. Imagine what he would think. The truth is, it would probably be a, a two-edged sword. In one way, he'd say, "I always envisioned this," and another way, of course, he'd be celebrating this amazing achievement. Well, he in the Alt Neuland, and it's an interesting read. He did. Uh, envision a Jewish state which was democratic with a free press, of course, lots of culture and opera and and not quite movies or TV, (laughs) um, but also um, science and electricity and innovation as well as communal farming, which ultimately became the kibbutzim, which, of course, he knew a bit about at the time. So he, in a sense, he would be, well, he would be extremely proud of what he would see and he would be shocked because he thought what he, his idea was the solution to anti-Semitism. The Judenstadt, the Jewish state, his first book, was built as a modern solution to the Jewish problem. The Jewish problem is a euphemism for anti-Semitism. And you only have to read the newspaper or look at your, um, your um, internet news services as as early as this as recent as this morning to know that that challenge still exists so he would be shocked i believe that there is still a conflict this was a solution that was intended to be good for everybody and not everyone perceived it the same way at the time nor perceives it that way now but he would insist that the jewish people like everyone else has a right to a home Right. And if whatever's necessary to keep that home and to keep the Jews safe in that home, which was the goal of the objective, 
would be something that that's merited to do. But no doubt he'd also realize that uh, that if in fact a country or an entity befriended the state of Israel and had good, proper, you know, respectful relations with Israel, they would benefit tremendously. And I think that that's part of his vision. Yeah, no question that by having this the Jewish state and bringing into one place the the energy and the creativity. I don't mean to be arrogant, but say the Jew, the genius of the Jewish people. Right. When when we're together and able to actualize our our creativity, then amazing things will happen, which will benefit the world. He he thought, and he was right, that the Jewish state would benefit the world, and those who want to reap the benefits are welcome. And those who aren't there yet in their thinking, hopefully one day they will be. The book you write is created to honor the uh, Jewish homeland, its people, its history, and its future. And I think it's important for people to understand that, that David Matlow, you, uh, did not just collect this collection and continue to add to it because there's one fascinating personality. But it's through that first fascinating personality we learned so much about the history of Israel and really honor, as you say, the homeland and the state of Israel. And I think it's an important point. Well, thank you. I, I, I'm, I feel that I'm helping to keep him alive. If we talk about someone and think about them and learn about them, then in a sense they remain alive and their relevance continues. And Herzl's relevance can, continues because all of us can learn from him that if you have an idea and if you care about something badly enough, help to make it happen, and it can. Uh, I want to go through some of the items. I'm sure some people are curious who are tuned in about some of the things they would see if they'd walk into your home and see this exhibit. We, we are encouraging you explain to us that uh, it's not always the best idea for someone like yourself to go out there and try to encourage uh, institutions and organizations to exhibit your exhibit. But we can encourage, after what we've seen up in Toronto, we can encourage museums and uh, JCCs and those who have a uh, who make it a habit of exhibiting amazing exhibitions uh, to contact you and to be in touch with you because I don't think anybody would be more cooperative in the effort to allow thousands and thousands of people to see this exhibit as you would be. It would be my pleasure, and this will be the first ever radio exhibit of my collection. <laughs> Yes, well, I did want to mention that, that even though we can't see any of these, uh, still, some of the items are in interesting to note. Many posters, pictures, and postcards, as you said earlier, right? A lot of right. those, uh, including some from the Zionist Congress, That's correct? correct. Um, you actually have a statue that comes from a building that I'm assuming was just a block or two away from here. Neat. This statue comes from the East Side Torah Center, which today is located literally a block from here. I don't know exactly where it was back then, but before the building, I assume the original building was sold, this was, um, I, I, I guess, put up for sale, right? Well, this was a, uh, it's about a two and a half feet tall sculpture. It is as big as I've ever seen, and it was rescued by my friend Danny Levinson, who, who lives in New Jersey, and his, his mission is to rescue Jewish and Zionist artifacts from institutions that are closing, so he rescued it, and I... I purchased it from him and it's interesting that the, in the classroom at the uh, at the Saitora Center there was indeed a, a significantly sized um, bust of Herzl really shows the affinity for Herzl 
across all kinds of uh, of swaths of our of our people, and right. and the interest in Herzl was was really quite wi- widespread, right, and, and continues to be. And well, right, correct. But things are a little bit different today. Today, there probably would not be a statue of Herzl, and frankly, there probably wouldn't be any statues <laughs> right. in an institution like that. Um, why would someone put? A photo of Herzl in a bottle and sell it as a memorabilia piece. Well, that's a good question. In the book is the one and only Herzl in a bottle I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I have no idea where I've I've posted it online to see if anyone has any idea about where this came from. I have no idea why, how, or where, but it certainly is a unique piece. There was an SS Theodore Herzl. An actual ship that was operated by the Zim Line. You have a photo of it in your book, right? Correct. And and the the SS Theodore Herzl was a time when there were when Zim was not just a cargo um, company. company, but had passenger ships. And it, what's interesting about the the Theodore Herzl is after a tough day of sailing on the high seas, if you wanted to have a drink and relax, you could go to the Alt Neuland Room, <laughs> which was the name of the bar. <laughs> That's great. I wonder what the reading material was there. <laughs> Uh, plenty of medals and pins in the collection, right? You have Correct. a lot of those. I have over 100 different uh, pins and medals from the times of the Zionist Congresses through to to within the last couple of years. And interestingly, at various times in Israel's history, when there was a momentous occasion, there would there would be a medal created with the event on one side and Herzl on the other. The opening of the new Knesset building, uh, the raid on Entebbe, uh, Israel's 20th anniversary would have those events on one side and Herzl on the other, connecting Herzl to all of these momentous occasions. Unbelievable. You have a notice from Vienna of his death uh, in July of 1904, actually of his funeral in July of 1904. Was his death sudden? It it was. So this was at a time before, obviously, the Internet, where you, where we would know hour by hour what was happening to right. a celebrity. He he was a sickly person, and and for the last number of years of his life, he was told by his doctor, "Slow down, you're going to kill yourself if you keep up in this pace of 40s. work." In his early forties, in his early forties, and he he said, "I have too much to do before I die. I've got to keep going." And so he 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 died at forty four. He was convalescing by his doctor's orders in in a mountain town in Austria when he ultimately died. Those in the inner circle knew that he was sick, but when there was an announcement finally that he had passed away, it was a shock to the Jewish world. And And his funeral in Vienna, based on my reading, was really quite a momentous event. And trainloads and trainloads from all around Europe, filled with Jews attending his funeral, really shocked the citizens of Vienna to show what a prominent person he was. They knew him as a journalist for right. the for the newspaper and that he had something to do with with the Jewish people, but when thousands and thousands of people converged upon Vienna, people realized what an important person he was. Well, you described what happened 45 years later in Israel, so That's I correct. guess uh, go back to the actual time of his death and both Jew and non-Jew were affected by his passing. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. We're speaking about Theodore Herzl with David Matlau collecting the dream. He has collected the dream with over 5,000 items in his Herzl collection, many of them are unique 
and different. By the way, we haven't even mentioned the Dreyfus affair, which is interesting because I mentioned earlier that you should give a short bio for the young people out there of who Herzl was because there's some people listening who never even heard of him. Uh, one of the episodes, if not the episode, that that's, that frightened him into this into this frenzy about anti-Semitism was, in fact, the Dreyfus Affair, where he was sitting as a journalist in the courtroom. Correct. The Dreyfus, the Dreyfus Affair were in 1895, so this was before he wrote the Judenstand. It's a result of the Dreyfus Affair that he wrote it, but he was covering the Dreyfus trial. Uh, Dreyfus was an uh, officer in the French military who was Jewish, who was wrongly uh, accused of spying for the Germans. He was convicted. Ultimately, he was... Uh, vindicated, and it was shown it was not him. But during the course of this trial, the population of Paris was was congregated outside the courthouse screaming death to the Jews. And so the anti-Semitism that obviously was percolating under the surface of French society bubbled up to the top. And that caused Herzl to, to be concerned and wonder, like, why Jews? Why is it plural? Uh, why and and why is he uh, just why it, and and so he wrote the Judenstadt. There are those who who would suggest that Herzl was unaware of his Jewish identity before that event, and that really changed his life. Right. It changed his life in a sense. But before the Dreyfus trial, Herzl wrote a play. He was a playwright, as I said, uh, called The New Ghetto which was about the glass ceiling and anti-Semitism in French society. And in fact, he quit his fraternity, his college fraternity, because of anti-Semitism. And he quit law. He was a lawyer. And he quit law to become a journalist because Jews couldn't be judges in Austria at the time, and he wanted to be a judge. But the Dreyfus trial really inspired him to go and do something about it. As I said, he sequestered himself in a hotel in Paris called the Hotel Castile which I've been at, and there's a plaque on the street saying, in this hotel, the Jewish state was written, though it says that in French and in Hebrew. <laughs> and so the, this, there are, are mementos of his life spread out around Europe. This was a real guy, put on his pants one leg at a time, uh, just like you and me, but he accomplished great things. Theo, the Herzl mascot. Do you own the Herzl mascot? Yes, I commissioned Theo, a, a mascot, uh, from a company in Calgary because I read in the newspaper and I was very proud because, and I know you were at the Super Bowl. The same company did the um, did the mascots for both teams that were competing in the Super Bowl, and I posted on Facebook that this is uh, Herzl's closest connection to the Super Bowl because <laughs> the same company that made those mascots made Theo. Theo has appeared in the uh celebrate Israel parade three times and this year was invited to the Israel embassy in Washington to celebrate their Hanukkah party unbelievable you have a Herzl pocket knife you have a uh, playbill from a Broadway play called Herzl this was in the a- 1970s there was a Broadway play called Herzl correct and you may not have heard of it because it only had six showings um and the script I saw, it's in the muse- It's in the library at Lincoln Center because they have a um, um, collection of all the scripts. So, yes, so that's the playbill um, for that show. So Herzl made it on Broadway, uh, but only for a few um, performances. You have a Herzl pocket watch. You have, uh, uh, you have um, uh, Herzl Junior College commencement program. Where's Herzl Junior well, College? Well, so that's a very uh, interesting story. There is a school in Chicago... 
in North Lawndale. And a hundred years ago, North Lawndale was called Little Jerusalem. It was the this where much of the Jewish population of Chicago lived, and there were a hundred synagogues within a one mile radius of this school. Um, and it was named Theodore Herzl at the request of the Jewish community of Chicago at the time, made of the Chicago public school system. It was a regular public school. In the intervening 100 years, the Jewish population of Chicago moved to Skokie and Oak Park and other places, and it's now um, a distressed community, Hispanic and African-American community. Yet the school is still named the Theodore Herzl Public School. <laughs> and the students there, it's now part of the AUSL, Alternative Urban School Leadership, where, uh, where a new um, administration took over the school about six years ago to really inspire the kids in that community to learn. Because through education is how lives can be changed. And so uh, the kids wear uniforms with Herzl on it, and I've been there five times telling the kids in the school who Herzl is named after. An interesting Martin Luther King, when he came from the South to, to work to work on fairness and housing, lived a couple blocks away from the school. Mm. And in the ethos of the school, Herzl is like a Martin Luther King in that both were visionaries who tried to improve the condition of their people. A couple years ago, the principal of the school asked me for a portrait of Herzl to hang in their auditorium, which is there on one side of the auditorium is Herzl. On the other side of the auditorium is a portrait of Martin Luther King. And I, you can, our radio listeners can't see this, but I wear this bracelet that I prepared uh, to hand out to the students at the school to show the similarity between these visions. Herzl, if you will it, it is not a dream. Imtertu Enzo Agada and Dr. King, I have a dream. And uh, through this initiative, there have been connections made between the Jewish community of Chicago and the kids in the Herzl School. Uh, Temple Beth Israel in Skokie for two years has arranged to buy Christmas presents for all of the kids in the school. Mm. Uh, Last year, I organized a bus tour. So the kids of the Herzl School and the kids from Temple Beth Israel went on a bus tour of their community, to, of, of the North Lawndale community, to see the, the Jewish sites of interest there. there were, the synagogues are obvious to us. The, the churches there were obviously synagogues. That There's was Heimer. Shnei Luchot Habrit and Magen Davids, but the Herzl kids didn't know, and they, they developed an appreciation for the history. And this year, May 3rd, um, I've arranged for the students of the Herzl School to, to come to the Skokie Holocaust Museum uh, the day after Yom HaShoah on May 3rd uh, to study together with the kids of Temple Beth Israel. I call it Herzl magic. Herzl as, as, the, as the way to bring communities together. And it's one thing for us to talk amongst ourselves about the importance of Herzl, even though many of the many of people in our community don't know about Herzl. But it's also a message that resonates for everyone, the idea of having the idea of having an idea and working towards it, and life can be better. We're not saddled with the conditions that we're born into or that have been around in our history for hundreds of years. We can do something about it to change it. That's the lesson of Herzl. David Matlow in our studio. Um, do you have the largest Herzl collection? Are there other Herzl collections that you're aware of? 
There is a there is a collection in the Zionist archives. A gentleman, Manfred Anson, who lived in Bergenfield, New Jersey, who was my role model and mentor, even though I I met him only once. He had a large collection, which he uh, donated to the Zionist archives in Jerusalem before he uh, passed away, sadly, a, a few years ago. Um, I believe I have the world's largest collection. I'm not the only collector, because, and I know that because when I bid on items at auction, <laughs> I'm, I'm not the only bidder, I can tell. I believe I have the largest, and I'm the most out there. I've made a, a, a philosophical decision to go out there to talk about the collection, to exhibit it, to have people come to my home to see it, to put it in a book. There's a documentary film about it called My Herzl, which I did a few years ago. If you Google my name, um, um, you'll see stories and, and videos about my collection. And sometimes if you Google my name, a picture of Herzl comes up. <laughs> so I take that as a huge compliment. And um, and uh, we should mention that, again, if, if there is a curator out there or somebody from a prominent or maybe not so prominent a museum or JCC or, or again, places that normally will exhibit things, especially vis-a-vis the Jewish community, you're more than anxious to hear from them. How would someone reach you? So I'm a lawyer at the law firm of Goodman's in Toronto. If you Google my name and Goodman's, my bio will will come up and my email address will come up as well. Um, one of the greatest favors that anyone has ever done for us here at the Nahum Siegel Network is uh, I was touring your incredible collection in your home and after having seen certainly i don't know hundreds if not thousands of items in a very very short period of time unfortunately uh, i said to you there was one item that of all the items that i saw there was one that i would love to have and you can imagine how many of them spoke to me and that was the um uh the small figurine of herzl on the balcony of the three kings hotel in basel which was in what year that he was uh, there at that hotel that portrait was taken in 1901, but he was at the Three Kings Hotel for five of the six Zionist Congresses that he was alive for, so could starting be, in 1897. Could be the most iconic image of Herzl. Him on the porch over the, which river is that? It is. Is it the, the Rhine? Yeah. It's, the, it's the Rhine, yes. And you went ahead with your family for a milestone birthday and actually stood on that same balcony that Herzl stood uh, where Herzl stood, and this happened back in 2010, right? That's correct. My 50th birthday celebration just gives an indication of how crazy I am and how crazy my family <laughs> and friends are. Is I ha- I invited people to my 50th birthday party at the Three Kings Hotel in Basel, Switzerland. None of us are Swiss, and and so I have a a, a, a sister and brother-in-law and four nieces who live in Jerusalem, and they came. And the rest of us came. There were 27 of us in the hotel, in the Three Kings Hotel. And in fact, there is the Herzl room. The precise room where Herzl stayed at is is you can um, you can request or, re- you can request that room. There's a plaque of Herzl there, and we had that as our hospitality suite. And we thought that Herzl would be proud to have young and old people hanging around the room he once slept in celebrating my milestone birthday. And you got to lean over that same balcony that Correct. he leaned over 
uh, many decades earlier. Correct. And that was the impetus of the film, My Herzl. It starts with that. And I, I think it's on YouTube. Um, none of this is a financial enterprise right. for me. Uh, and so, <laughs> if anything, you've lost plenty of money. <laughs> well, I, I, I they're, they're, invested, invested exactly. plenty of money. Exactly. <laughs> compensation comes in different ways. And, and it's also on Vimeo. So if people wish to watch it, uh, they're welcome to. Is Herzl's name prominent on eBay? Like on a regular basis, if you search him, you'll find stuff? If you Google Herzl, uh, if, if you put Herzl's name on eBS, yes, there's several hundred items at any one time. Most time. of which you already own, if Correct. not all of them. It's, it's hard now to find anything. And just to finish my thought, when I did say to you and express to you of all the items I saw, including the Herzl hockey uh, what's it called? The Herzl Cup, right? Which you Herzl, have. A, what is it? A little figurine? A bobblehead. Herzl. A bobblehead, right? The Herzl Cup, which still takes place or not? The Herzl Cup. It's now It's now just an idea. We're getting too old to play road hockey. <laughs> so with all the items I saw, the one that really spoke to me was the figurine of Herzl overlooking the uh, uh, the river on the um, at the Three Kings Hotel. Right. And sure enough, you reached into a drawer in your home and you pulled out an extra one of these, which we have prominently had in our studio since Fantastic. that day that we met. And uh, it's just amazing. Back at the Fifth Zionist Congress, 1901, uh, again, the iconic image of Herzl, in this case, in a beautiful figurine that uh, that really speaks to those who, like myself, consider ourselves Zionists. And 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 what Nakum is showing is, is, is something that's available in many gift and souvenir stores in Israel uh, it's made by a, uh, a young man named Asaf Harari, who I met because he posted that on on Facebook, and he has a series of Zionist action figures. That's the first one. <laughs> there's a Moshe Dayan, there's a Yitzhak Rabin, there's a Jabotinsky, and a and a golden, of course, a David Ben Gurion. And um, they, collect they, the vote. That's right. What an amazing thing to do. Exactly. Only helps spread the history of uh, Zionism in Israel. Uh, David Matlow, the official book is called Collecting the Dream. It is uh, about the largest uh, collection of Herzl memorabilia. I, again, uh, David Matlow, M-A-T-L-O-W. You said you're with which law firm? In Goodman's. Your, Goodman's Law Firm. If you are part of the uh, the curating team, uh, the, if you are part of, the, uh, of those who make decisions about what exhibits to bring uh, to your town in North America... Uh, consider contacting David Matlow and having his amazing largest Herzl exhibition or uh, exhibit rather uh, in your facility. It is certainly worthwhile and something that will uh, uh, be spoken about for many, many years to come. Uh, this has been great. I thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much for having me. And you've done something that's uh, very inspiring, something that really has uh, touched a lot of people. And I pray we'll touch a lot more as uh, as this collection becomes more well-known. I hope so. That's If you will it, it is no dream. <laughs> to say the least. Uh, quoting one of the greats. David Matlow on a special Monday morning edition of JM in the AM. שאלות בחיים שלא נותנות מנוח מלחמות בעולם לא צריך לדאוג דאגות על המחר קצת לא בטוח השכנים מרעישים לא צריך לדאוג והלחץ בכבישים אז תעצור לרגע גם אם קשה לך אל תעצור תמשיך לרוץ אם תיפול אז 
JM in the AM with Milo Cohen, Levy Cohen before that here at JM in the AM. Monday morning as we head back to school and back to work, my thanks to David Matlow. Great conversation about Theodore Herzl. 54 degrees, cloudy, and a high of 54. We're at that high right now. Uh, we are um, certainly focused and thinking about our brothers and sisters in Israel in light of the rocket attack in central Israel north of Kwarsaba earlier today. The enemy says it was an accident. It's caused Prime Minister Netanyahu to uh, cancel his APAC appearance and uh, head back to Israel after he speaks to the President of the United States. So um, that is the latest regarding the Prime Minister's schedule. Big shout-out to our friends at Aaron's Casino Farms. They've got a big, big announcement regarding Pesach, and that's the uh, opening of the Mega Center, the Pesach Mega Store at the uh, one-time National Wholesale Liquidators, about 200 feet away from Aaron's Casino Farms in Queens. you got to check it out. I saw it both inside and outside as I posted on Facebook, and it's just amazing. Hey, tomorrow, Eitan Katz, a live music alert Tuesday. Eitan Katz in studio tomorrow morning. Spread the word. Eitan Katz tomorrow morning in studio here at JM and the AM. He's got the brand new album, which we're going to play in a minute. And um, he'll be here in the studio tomorrow morning at JM and the AM. Um, want to thank those who are commenting on the app. Listener Ralph is down at APAC. Says greetings from APAC. Thank you. Down in Atlanta, AJA Carpool 255 is on the road again. Thank you, listener Daniel. Listener Leia in Scranton says thanks. I needed I needed that Matana. I assume she's referring to that song by Levy Cohen. So big thank you to everybody who's tuned in this morning at JM and the AM. He's here tomorrow. His name is Eitan Katz. Here he is from the brand new album, title track, Ashrecha, JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Monday morning broadcast. Eitan Katz. That's Ashrecha. Tomorrow, a live music alert Tuesday with Eitan Katz in studio here at J.M. in the A.M. Spread the word. He's pretty amazing, to say the least. And uh, he'll be here tomorrow at J.M. in the A.M. With us live via telephone is Dr. Benjamin Epstein. The book is called Living in the Presence, a Jewish Mindfulness Guide for Everyday Life. Dr. Epstein is a um, is quite prominent in his field, to say the least. The reason his name might be familiar to our audience is because, as he writes in his acknowledgments, for the past six summers, his family and he have had the opportunity to spend their summers in Camp Hask, where we've spoken to him, by the way. He works as the Director of Staff Development and Clinical Research, and much of the material that formed this book came from lectures in Zichot that he gave to the staff up at Camp Hask. The book is called Living in the Presence. Dr. Benjamin Epstein, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nachum, Miriam. It's it's a big supposed to be here in this capacity, and uh, thank you guys. Appreciate this Appreciate that very much. The book is amazing. I mean, the book is 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 so comprehensive and deals with so many important topics uh, when it comes to people, you know, incorporating important things in their lives. I mean, for whom was this book written? I think it was written for myself originally. It's something that uh, I've been thinking about for a long, long time since graduate school, since I did my dissertation on mindfulness. And it just struck me 
that every single teacher of Buddhism in the West, in America, Jack Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg, they're all Jewish. And I was bothered by the fact that we didn't have our own tradition and our own sources and our own resources and our own teachers that can really um, sort of show us the way in these practices that are so necessary for this, for specifically for our generation, when we're so bothered and harrowed and, and torrid with the, the Internet and our smartphones. I was just speaking with Dr. David Pelkovich, who's a hero, H-E-R-E-O. We're going to start that as a thing, people who are heroes and present, um, where he speaks about this is the challenge of our times, the distraction and the diffusion, and we need high-quality material. And uh, hopefully this book will satisfy um, people of your audience, people who I'm acquainted with, um, to look to our tradition, to look to our spiritual resources, to be able to really fully connect to their own lives and to grow as, as Jews. One, one could argue, Dr. Epstein, and I say this with, with the utmost respect, because I, I, I stand by my words that this book is remarkable, but one could argue that, that when it comes to Jewish sources that speak about the topics that you bring up, and we'll try to get to some of them, of course, uh, th- there's a large number of Jewish sources, whether you want to start with Chumash itself or go to the Talmud or certainly Musr Sfarim, I guess what, you know, that category that, that this audience is familiar with. Many of them are, in fact, Jewish sources on these topics. Would you agree? I'd agree. I agree. It's just the way it's presented and where the focus is and how we can bring it into our day-to-day lives. When you think of Shabbos, the first thing that do- that comes to your mind it's a day of don't cut toilet paper. It's a day of we're rushing to get into it to make sure that everything is done before lift benching, as opposed to cultivating a mindset of really just allowing things to be as they are. So it's sort of shifting the mindset. It's all there. It's shulchan It's It's spread out in front of all of us. It's just sort of shifting how we're looking at it. Exactly right in terms of just looking at the Torah. When we're given the Torah, we're supposed to learn it. A person should look at the Torah like it's brand new. How does one do that? These are all wonderful ideas. But if we're not presented in a methodical and a laid-out way, we're not going to be able to do it. These are all nice ideas that we can say in theory. But to actually practice, to be able to learn how to sit with one's thoughts, to be able to learn to sit with one's emotions, to be able to really connect. Because davening is itself a meditation. In theory, the Gemara says that a person should be davening all day, which we can, in theory, be doing right. if we train ourselves correctly. And that's really the overarching goal one day to, to re, sort of reclaim this. And Arya Kaplan, Zatzal, Rav Arya Kaplan, was starting this 30 years ago. And I'm not saying I'm a continuation of this because I can't get to his, to, his, to, his, to his heels. But just we've sort of gotten away from the, the practice of this. Yeah, and by the way, and, and and, and, you, when people when people pick up the book, they'll see just how well you're describing this. Um, and I would add the following. You already have alluded to the fact that among the younger generation, distraction and all the elements that go along with it are a major obstacle to all of this, to the mindfulness that you're promoting. I would say for the older generation, because now I could speak for that generation, uh, it might be the 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 amount of responsibility that's been incorporated into one's life, especially, thank God, as we, compared to other generations in the past, 
you know, have, thank God, children, grandchildren, many responsibilities to deal with. Uh, and I think that sometimes all those, you know, things that, necess- that, that really demand our time will take away from the mindfulness that you're looking for. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's certainly, the, 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 it's ironic because we have so many ways of making our lives easier, in theory, because of technology and because of the way things have developed. And what we're losing is the ability to really focus on what it is because we're, we're just pulled in so many different directions. And what ends up happening is we just become very diffuse and we become very um, fragmented. Right. And what I think Judaism, what our, what, our, what, our, what our traditions have taught us is that there's really one, one overarching theme, and that's really vacuous, really connecting to God in everything that we're doing, in every opportunity. It could be when you're in the base measures. It could be when you're in the office. It could be when you're eating. It could be when you're sleeping. That, and, but if we're not bringing that conscious of it, and we're sort of just going through the motions, it loses its meaning. It loses its fire. And um, what ends up happening is people become, it becomes stale. I mean, we're coming into Pesach right now, and we're going to be searching for the chametz because we get stale. The, the, the ideas that used to be fresh and used to be invigorating for us are suddenly losing its, its, its fire, and we need to reclaim that. Dr. Benjamin Benji Epstein with us live via telephone, Living in the Presence, a Jewish Mindfulness Guide for Everyday Life. It's an Urim Publications release. I think the point you just made is is really the overarching theme, and that is that uh, if one gets caught up, and again, I say this with respect, I understand how important our tradition is, but if one gets caught up in the minutia of Jewish observance, and I'm sure you know exactly what I mean by that, especially with Passover approaching, that it's sometimes hard to stop and really put oneself mindfully in a proper place. And so therefore, and, and, and as I read through some of the chapters in your book and some of the things that you mention, it looks like that's an overall theme that one essentially has to figure out a way to slow down and really appreciate being in the moment. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me like when, when one says to a bride or a groom, you know, th- your wedding's about to take place, try to, you know, live it minute by minute because if you don't do it that way it's going to go by so quickly it'll be over by the time it starts you know in one's mind and i sort uh-huh. of I, I sort of think that that's your message about life that if you don't slow down and really incorporate into your mind what is happening it's just going to fly right by exactly it's exactly and the irony is is time is only happening minute by minute by minute we can only go through life living moment by moment by moment. We can only be doubled. We can only attach ourselves to our higher purpose right now. What happened in the past of our ayat is gone. And I'll see that dying, and it's, it's not going to be. So the only place, the only moment that we have that, like what Victor Frankl would call that ability to between stimulus and response is this space. And in that space lies our choice, and that lies our freedom. How we choose that response ability is happening moment by moment by moment. And we can always get it back. We lose it, we bring it back. We lose it, we bring it back. Always to the present moment, right now. And it can always be that stepping stone for sort of propelling us in the right direction that we want to be heading. So you could be in that dark room for, for a day or even, even, even a week or a month. But once you turn on that light of that awareness, of that connectivity, 
then the room is illuminated and everything becomes very clear about what it is you're supposed to be doing right now, moment by moment by moment. By the way, who's better at this? If you sat with me, the guy who's married 30 years and tried to get me to focus the way you just described, or if you're sitting with the you know 19-year-old counselors up in Parksville, who's better at incorporating this into their lives? It's, it's we all have this capacity. I mean, there's nobody who's a better listener than you. You are, you are, I mean, I know therapeutically, I'm talking, I, I've, I've gained skills from listening to you to be able to be fully engaged in whatever it is you're doing. Meaning, we went from Eitan Katz, you know, singing about Kovacatamidim, <laughs> to talking about this, and it's just like seamlessly, it's like right now, the only person in the world who exists for Nachum Siegel is the guest on, on the phone right now. And that is a tremendous mindfulness skill. And it's, and it's going with whatever is happening right now. Not the way you want it to be and not the way it should have been happening, but it's really seeing reality as it is without any of the biases. And I think that having, you know, a, a little bit of age with the wisdom of age, you, you, you know, to talk about patience with you and allowing things to sort of come into fruition is probably more meaningful because for the 18, 19-year-old, it's more of a theoretical. But just to sort of, I look at the work I do at Haskin in therapy as planting seeds. Because right. we're changing the way that they're speaking about things. We're talking about cultivating compassion and being more aware of their own feelings and their thoughts, which for adolescents is very, very new. By the way, I'm sorry, but, yes. but I just have to add, it's not just biases. These days, no matter what age you're at, there's so many pressures. It is hard to sit uh, at Kabbalah Shabbat on Friday night without thinking of the pressures of the week and, and what pressures are being suspended for the next 25 hours till you get back to it. Do you know what I mean? 100%, which is why we sort of have to cultivate an idea of, of Arab Shabbos. And th- this is brought down not, not even in like the Musr and the Hasidic form. It's brought down in the tour. It's brought down in the halacha that a person's consciousness, a person's mindset before they go into Shabbos is a person should view it as if all of his work is done, which is not some sort of theoretical or some sort of way of uh, self-hypnosis of trying to convince yourself. It's a real practice to, to believe that everything is the way it's supposed to be, and everything around Shabbos is cultivated around this. Don't do Borer. Why not? Because we are conducting ourselves as if everything is the way it's supposed to be. And it is a me'en olam haba. It's a taste of something that's going to be messianic, where we're fully clear about everything that we're doing is really just the way God planned it. And we have to conduct ourselves as such. And so it's, it's much harder. And we're going from the formal practice of Shabbos, of where you say to yourself, I can't do anything about it right now. That means if I'm fully accepting, and I'm really present, and I'm at my Shabbos table at that time, then that board meeting is done. And that, and that uh, paper that needs to get done, or that even, even Rahman Lutan, if somebody's not well. Right, right now, I'm, I'm conducting myself. And it's a, it, it's a tremendous practice, but it is certainly doable. And we have one day a week. You know, you look out in the in society, and there's a movement for Shabbat or having you know having a day of rest from your from your from your cell phone and from your email. And we have that built into our week. And we look at it, and we and we praise it as such, and we really imbue our our families with that. That that creates a sensitivity, and then we bring the Shabbos into the week where we pause in the middle of the conversation, and before we say that word, or we just take that deep breath before we walk out of the house, we touch the mezuzah, we look at our tzitzis. It's just we have these built-in pauses to bring us back 
to that to that Shabbos type of mindset. And by the way, I, I <laughs> not to minimize Shabbos, but I feel bad because very often in these types of conversations, Shabbos starts to dominate, and you have so many other important topics here. And I know some of them are tied into Shabbos, but when you discuss Chesed and when you discuss Tmimut and Simcha, which is such an important thing, and Modeh, Modani, and and just in general being a, a you know somebody who who wakes up with the proper attitude and of course Torah I mean it's a, and Shuva there's a lot of things here in this book that people will gain from but I have to say to you uh, as an addendum to all this I was on the phone with a friend of mine on Friday excuse me the opposite I was trying to reach a friend of mine with a desperate uh, phone call and I, I called maybe 10 times so Saturday night I said to him didn't you see that there were like 10 missed calls so he says no I shut my phone Four o'clock every Friday, no matter when Shabbat starts. I said, "What? You know, is that? Is, how do how do how do you live? How do you get through the next three hours? You know?" He said, "No, I, I've disciplined myself. It must be over at four o'clock, no matter what, because I just need to turn off the world." And that turn off the world concept, even though I just mentioned it again in the Shabbos concept, can really be applied to a lot of things you write about. One hundred percent, one hundred percent, and and it's really even in that idea of when you're learning Torah, it's Adam ki yamus ba'ohel. It doesn't mean you're supposed to, to you know Rachman al-san, do something terrible to yourself. Right. It means that everything else, it's as if you are not, it's it, you're dead. The phone rings, you don't pick it up because right now you are focused solely on what it is you're supposed to be doing. Again, you're not a sniper who's got that you know bullseye and he's not moving at all. You have this psychological flexibility to move to whatever it is you're bringing your focus to. But really cultivating this awareness and, and patience and, and, and compassion. And really, we have a built-in system if it's, it's sort of taught in this way. And I'm really hopefully speaking to some educators about how we can bring this into the schools um, to make davening more of, of, of a, a spiritual experience as opposed to sort of checking off the box. I struggle with it. You know, it's just sort of one reason we check the boxes off. And some days you're just going to have to do that. And that's okay, too. By the way... That same attitude applies to a lot of other things you write about. You, you'd, you'd also encourage people to, to, to encourage their students to do chesed in a proper way and have that as, as a positive experience because people need to know, you know, again, you know, where to direct uh, their, their kindness and their generosity and things like that. And that really goes, uh, again, it's one of those themes that really plays through every one of these chapters and every one of these thoughts that it's not just it's slowing down it's taking notice it's it's concentrating where one needs to concentrate but also one needs to know you know in in, in terms of their positive activities how to direct you know the good things they want to do right. and cultivating cultivating these attitudes right. it's really doing the work from the inside out and once we start to recognize that our tradition is so deep and and you know poor is a mindfulness holiday. People come up and say, Purim is mindfulness. They're so excited. The fact that we're using these phrases, we're, we're speaking about these terms that they've entered into, their, into our, our lexicon is also so um, refreshing. You know, it's not some, some sort of heebie-jeebie or some Eastern philosophical ideas. It's something that's relevant to us in our day-to-day, in our moment-to-moment, and we can always reclaim that awareness. If, you know, you could be going through your entire day. You haven't thought about your wife all day, but she's there in that in that latent awareness it's the same their power i mean we can always just tap into it that that sort of innate ability when we allow ourselves to pause when we believe in our inherent worth and goodness when we see that there's more right with us than there is wrong with us and it just changes everything it's deceptively simple 
but it really just can encapsulate a person's entire life because we only have this moment. But if we keep our focus on this moment and we go there, you know, from, from Pesach to the Sirius Omar, we could make the days count instead of counting the days to get to, to Shavuot, to get to Kabbalah Tatora, which is being constantly given to us. It's a constant awareness that we can always connect. You learn another Tzach Gemara, you learn another Stephen Halach, and it's just like it becomes alive, becomes, and everything becomes illuminated. And uh, I'm really hoping, I mean, the, the feedback has been extremely... You there, Dr. Epstein? Hello? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Now, yes, we, now we hear you. Yeah. The feedback's been good, you I'm were sorry. saying. Yeah, see, that's been, been fantastic. And, I mean, I, the, the head of the Duke Spirituality Center uh, wrote a nice, uh, a nice little blurb for the book. And uh, with Moshe Weinberger Shlita and with Judah Michelle, the chief rabbi of the world, and uh, <laughs> Tal Ben Shachar. Re- oh, you didn't think I was going to go through the whole interview without giving Judah some love? <laughs> and um, and the, the, the feedback has been so overwhelmingly positive. And, and you give it to somebody, and they're like, oh, how did you know I needed this? And the answer is, we all need this because our brains aren't trained to work like that. And so we have to work more consciously to bring ourselves back home because our brains are constantly scanning environments for threat, worrying about the past, or anxious about the future, and it's just tearing us away from what's really important to us. Yeah, well... Everybody wants, to be, everybody wants to be more present in their lives, with their work, with their spouses, with their children, with their avodas Hashem. Everybody wants to be fully there. And like you said, in this generation, we're dealing with a lot of things pulling at it. And, and we have the entire wisdom of our And so um, these are just, it's just the right time and the right place. And I feel very, very blessed that I'm someone who can relay the the transmissions I've been getting from my teachers, from my rebellion, from my learning, and hopefully be able to, to help people um, live more fully. Living in the Presence, a Jewish mindfulness guide for everyday life. Uh, amazingly well written. Really, really good stuff, everybody. I'm telling you, uh, I enjoyed so many of these chapters. It's Dr. Rabbi Benjamin Epstein. It's an Urim Publications release. I'm assuming it's available everywhere. It's available everywhere, Amazon and your local Judaica store. If you don't see it in a local Judaica store, tell them to call Katav Publishing, and they'll send over a couple copies. Living in the Presence, Jewish Mindfulness Guide for Everyday Life. You know the, you know the great radio announcer, Art Russ Jr., you know what he used to say, Dr. Epstein? I do not. He used to say, yesterday is a canceled check, tomorrow is a promissory note, today is all we got. And I think that fits today right. Today is all we got. Yeah, I think that there fits, you go. fits right into our theme. Great speaking to you. Best regards, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Nachum, and looking forward to seeing you in the summer. Bezrat Hashem. More coming up. It's JM in the AM. Zichronot Sheitcha Olchim Lichol Makom Peta Vicha Vimcha Tamitisa Itcha Velotuchalish Koach 
JM in the AM, Baruch Levine in the background. Eitan Katz tomorrow morning here at JM in the AM. Tomorrow is a live music alert Tuesday.
Eitan Katz expected in studio here at JM in the AM again tomorrow, a live music alert Tuesday. Make sure to be tuned in. Eitan Katz joining us at JM in the AM. How cool is that, huh? Mazel tov and best wishes for a very happy anniversary going out to brother and sister-in-law Rabbi Shimon and Rebbe Sinchani Lawrence of Staten Island. Wishing you a wonderful day and a fabulous year ahead filled with good health, simcha, and nachas. And of course, many more happy and healthy years together till 120. Mazel tov. That's from Sina and Ira. Listener Sina and Mr. Listener Sina down in Florida. And I'll add a a thank you for the potato kugel uh, wish as well. Uh, The next live edition of the Israel Show is coming up next. A tribute to Israel's master spy, Rafi Eitan. From Eichmann to Pollard, who passed away this weekend at the age of 92. Baffling recordings of candidate Benny Gantz's recent conspiracy theories about Prime Minister Netanyahu. And live updates of any breaking news on the situation in Israel and at the APAC conference. Plus the not-to-be-missed weekly Israeli music mix. It's all happening next, two minutes from now, with Mayor Weingarten, right after JM in the AM. Achenu Yisrael and Achim brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish Moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com, on the NachumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing uh, Monday here at JM in the AM. Don't forget, to, uh, tomorrow morning here at JM in the AM, the one and only Eitan Katz expected in studio. Eitan Katz, live music alert Tuesday, and we are very, very much... Looking forward to it, to say the least. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a fabulous Monday. Till tomorrow, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future. <laughs>